You might think that I read ahead and knew where we were going with this uh, uh, Baptist catechism today because it ties in with the message. And last Wednesday evening, we had our monthly fellowship meal and prayer meeting and Robin provided the devotional study. And for the study, he provided a side-by-side comparison of the Ten Commandments, which just happens to be in our Baptist Catechism today. The Ten Commandments that are found in Exodus 20, uh, which he labeled the uh, Biblical Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments endorsed by the Roman Catholic Church. And what is readily apparent when you compare the two sets is that the Catholic Church completely omits one of the commandments, specifically what we know as the second commandment. And no big deal, at least it wasn't the first, right? It's only the second commandment, so it's not very important. Of no surprise to anyone who has been in a statue-laden, crucifix-worshipping, idol-adoring Catholic church, The commandment the Catholics have decided to ignore reads as thus, You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This injunction against um, idol worship would seem to be very clear, wouldn't it? I mean... Is there anything ambiguous in what was said there? In fact, if you look at how God said it, he didn't leave a lot of wiggle room. In the heaven above, on the earth, in the waters beneath, no image, no idol shall be worshipped. So, why did the Catholic Church remove one of the Ten Commandments from their scriptures? One reason could be because it wasn't one of the important ones, only number two. Okay, well, maybe in their judgment, God was mistaken. So I'm going to give you my range of things. Maybe God didn't really mean it. I mean, there can be a hundred human reasons, maybe a thousand, maybe a million human reasons to leave that out. But maybe they wanted to worship God as they, man, saw fit to worship God. From the beginning of time, man has worshipped as man wanted to worship with sexual orgies, sacrificing children on the high places, with drunken dancing, and every other perversion under the sun. They all have been incorporated into man's worship, not God's worship. Because man wants to worship a God made in man's image 
and not the Lord God who made man in his image. So, the Catholic Church got rid of the second commandment so they could indulge in the idol worship that is rampant in their church. And they divided the tenth commandment given by God in Exodus 20 to Moses into two verses. And the tenth commandment reads, and I'm going to abbreviate it, but it is the text, Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his male and female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so they divided that into two covets. One has to think that they did so to bring the uh, number of commandments back up to ten, so that maybe we wouldn't notice, and have we noticed? I mean, we don't really pay attention to the Catholic Bible all that much. That may be because we're Reformed Baptists. So, as purely an academic exercise, how many commandments can we ignore? Okay? I mean, the point of the Ten Commandments was that um, though God had instilled a moral code with the first man, the second man, Cain, had broken the most obvious and the most serious right off and without a second thought, thou shalt not murder. Right off the bat. So thoroughly had man abrogated that moral code that God decided to end mankind and all living creatures and begin again with the only righteous man, Noah, and his family. And yet, a little further down the pike, as God moves his people out of pagan Egypt and into pagan Canaan, he sees the need for a written set of rules the fundamentals necessary for godly living. Guidelines. Commandments, as we translate it. Statements, as Dennis Prager has uh, translated it. A statement of God to man on how God says man must live. So once again, how many of these can we ignore? Okay? The obvious answer looking at the world today is, all of them, okay? Man can ignore all of them. Uh, what used to be the worst thing you could do, murder somebody, doesn't get you 10 years in prison anymore. Every single commandment of God is routinely ignored every single day by nearly everyone. Not that everyone breaks every commandment every day, but those that don't are statistically a rounding error. Because man does not care about God's law. Much like Abraham arguing for uh, saving Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of the righteous of those cities and not finding any, let's discuss the ignoring of God's commands solely amongst the Judeo-Christian point of view. How many and which can we write off? We've seen the Catholics ditch the second write-off. Most Christians and Jews ignore the fifth also, remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, even if that only means to them attending worship services and not the fuller reading, um, which is on the Sabbath you are to. You shall not do any work, neither you 
your son or daughter, nor your male nor female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. So, if we ignore that one, and we ignore uh, thou shalt not murder, and we shall, some of us, uh, ignore the second commandment, what is off limits in ignoring the Ten Commandments? And believe it or not, this has been decided in the past. In reading for days, today's passage in Acts, I came across this note by F.F. F. Bruce, who is a very conservative and good scholar of uh, uh, middle 1900s. Uh, I think he died in about 2000, maybe a little bit before that. He says, Idolatry... Sexual immorality and murder were the three cardinal sins in Jewish eyes. Avoidance of these were held to be binding on the whole human race from the time of Noah. Okay, so he says, idolatry, sexual immorality, and murder. Uh, that, those, those were the three big ones. But after the uh, Bar Koba rebellion was put down in AD 135, and Simon Bar Koba led the third and last Jewish rebellion against Rome. The first resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the exile of the people. I did not read about when the second one was, but the third one was the final straw. The Emperor Hadrian brought his armies. He put down, well, he put down the rebellion by killing huge amounts of Jews and exiling many more. And scholars, some scholars today point to this act as changing the balance of the population of Israel from mostly Jewish to not to Jews being a minority in Israel. Others dispute that. I'm just throwing that out, that so many were killed. And so many were killed that the rabbis of the city of Lydda laid it down that a Jew, if his life were at stake, might break any commandment of the law to save it, except those regarding idolatry, sexual immorality, or murder. The others, they're out the window. You can disregard those to save your life. So depopulated had the country become that even the priest said, ignore the rest of the laws of God. And so now you know. In a time of duress, you can violate all of God's laws except idolatry, sexual immorality, and murder if you're a Jew. Now, I'm not saying that they are still applying that, but I'm saying it was decided at one time. So today's study, as we move along, our passage is Acts 15, 22 through 29, and I'll read it now and we'll go back verse by verse. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders. This is after James had made his ruling about what the Gentiles were to abstain from. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, 
leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell of you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So in verse 22 it says, And it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. Now, I spent a number of hours yesterday at our Southern California area uh, Reformed Baptist Church Messengers Conference uh, with 20 other like-minded men. Our big item this quarter was to consider the admission of uh, Course Gold Reformed Fellowship pastored by our old friend and pastor Alan Harris um, into our association. And there was a lot of discussion. When I got home, Aaron said, did you get lost? <laughs> you know, because it was after 3 o'clock when I got home. But there was much discussion on several related issues with regard to membership, that being full or uh, partial membership, auxiliary membership, I guess you would call it. And fair-minded men were on each side of the issue. So this went on for a while. The final note of uh, the 10 churches represented there confirmed, the final vote, I say, of the 10 churches represented there uh, out of the 13, but quorum was there, the 10 ruled. Confirmed, of course, gold as a full member church. Uh, with a vote of 6 to 4. And my point is this. I want to stress that the four votes against were not a vote against Chorus Gold. They'd already been admitted to membership by a unanimous vote. This vote was full voting member or auxiliary member, being as far away as they are. But earlier in a vote, they had been confirmed uh, unanimously as a member of the thing. But I also want to stress that there was no animosity at all in the vote. Just men of goodwill voting their conscience as to what was best for all the churches involved. And really, these men take a great deal of time considering these issues and, uh, and dealing with them. In the end, just as in verse 22 here, it seemed good to the elders and messengers with the whole church to take the course decided upon uh, 
Such is the functioning of a church guided by the Holy Spirit. The church comes together. This was not the issue of the first Jerusalem council of such an earth-shaking matter, but it was how, how churchmen are to get together and decide what is the best policy. And the first is assuming everybody is of goodwill. When Paul and Barnabas arrived in Jerusalem, they were treated as men of goodwill. They treated the Jerusalem church as men of goodwill. And of these churchmen of goodwill, they made a decision, just as was made yesterday on various items, of course, gold being the most consequential. But this is the functioning of a church guided by the Holy Spirit. Continuing on, verse 22 says, The apostles and elders thought it good to choose men from the Jerusalem church to accompany Paul and Barnabas with the decision from the Jerusalem council. Uh, The unstated reason for sending men from Jerusalem was so that the message delivered by Paul and Barnabas could not be disputed by the Judaizers who had come from Jerusalem without authorization and spread dissent. So by sending Paul and Barnabas to Antioch, they would help to suppress any stirring up of dissension. And they sent two of their most outstanding leaders of their church, uh, men whose authority could not be questioned by anyone of goodwill. Judas called Barsabbas, it says, and Silas. Now, of Judas Barsabbas, Scripture says nothing more. And history says nothing more. So we know no more about him. But in Acts one twenty three, when the apostles took counsel to replace Judas Iscariot as an apostle, choosing one more number, the two proposed were Matthias, who ultimately got the nod, and Joseph Barsabbas. Okay, the two men, Matthew and Joseph Barsabbas, was uh, Judas Barsabbas related to him? Scripture does not say, but when the names are used, it's because it's a familiar name to people. And was Judas Barsabbas the son 20 years down the line of Joseph Barsabbas. I don't believe in coincidences, but it is like as I say, it is not in Scripture. But it was a man highly attested by the church. The two leading men of their church, Silas and and Judas Barsabbas. Of the other man chosen to accompany Paul and Barnabas to Antioch, much is known. Uh, Silas would become a close friend of the Apostle Paul. He would accompany him on the second missionary journey as a close confidant. And those journeys would go to Philippi. And you you know Philippi from the letter to the Philippians. Um, They would go to Thessalonica, Thessalonians. And they would go to Corinth. Uh, where they founded churches in all of those. Silas also shows up under his Roman name, Silvanus, in the letters to these three churches. 
and in the uh, first, the letter of First Peter uh, that we know as First Peter, which he actually wrote down in dictation for the apostle Peter. This is who Silas was. So they weren't sending the second string to go and convey their message. They were sending the best they had. These illustrious early Jewish Christians then were the men chosen to authenticate the instructions of the Jerusalem council just as in case anybody had an objection. Verses 22 through 23 read, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men of the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Cilicia. Greetings. I don't know about you, but the last time I received a letter that started with the word greetings uh, was my um, draft notice in 1973. So I'm a little leery of uh, missives that start with that phrase. Verse 24 through 25 continue. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us, and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us to choose men to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Unsettling your minds is an understatement here. The phrase so translated carries the meaning of to shake up or disturb someone, it's used uh, of agitating a crowd in Acts 17.8, causing inward distress, okay? This wasn't just unsettling their minds. This was really causing an upheaval within the church. Something else of note is that in, the fi- in 15 years, Paul has gone from Saul of Tarsus, destroyer of the church, to our beloved Paul, Okay? That's a nice change that uh, Paul is a beloved member of the church. And lastly, James in the Jerusalem church makes sure the Gentile Christians know that the Hebrew church did not authorize the Judaizers who had agitated for the circumcision and the observance of Jewish law by Gentiles in Antioch. These men were sent with Paul and Barnabas Uh, Verse 26 continues, Men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this would be just as Paul and Barnabas had proven to have done. These were trustworthy men who would go to the death and may have. I do not know how they died. But they were willing to go to the death. And this placed them into extremely trusted territory with the church. Verse 27 says, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Now, not wanting to have any further misunderstandings, James and the elders send Paul and Barnabas uh, with their instructions. Paul and Barnabas are perfectly capable of telling what the council has decided. 
They have sent a written reply, okay, a copy of this in their own handwriting, and they have sent two of their leading people that they can then be questioned if, whether or not this was true. And I don't know if you've dealt with the SCARB church body is quite something, especially with Joe in charge of uh, uh, this year of everything, but everything is documented. There is nothing left to chance. It is put out in the mail. It is said in a committee meeting. If Joe thought he was unclear, Joe straightens it out. It is an amazing thing. This is what the Jerusalem church is doing. There will be no mistake on what they decided. Paul and Barnabas, who are trusted in Antioch, will tell them. Silas and uh, Judas uh, Barsabbas, okay. Judas Barsabbas will tell them, and they've got it in writing. This is what has been decided with the, within the church. No mistakes will be made here. And the letter concludes in verses 28 through 29 saying, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed, has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell. And I want to point out here that while this actually looks like, you know, four different things, it's actually one commandment to the Jews. These four things are all encapsulated in one commandment. The second commandment. In my opening, I mentioned that the three things relating to God's commandments that a Jew could not break was you can't murder, you can't revert to idolatry, and you can't be sexually immoral. In these prohibitions sent by the church in Jerusalem, these items are all one item. It's the idolatry. And particularly in the commandment against idolatry, food uh, that has been sacrificed to an idol shows up. This is what they are saying. Do not eat food sacrificed to idols because that would take place in the Pagan, pagan temples, and they're to remove themselves completely from this. Abstaining from blood, it says you shall uh, abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood. Well, the pagan priests would taste the blood of the sacrifice before it was offered to their pagan gods. This is the tasting of blood. I've often wondered, you know, we know that Jews were to abstain from eating blood because life is found in the blood, is how it's explained. But, furthermore, it's part of pagan practices. And then there's a part, uh, and from what has been strangled. And what's with that? Well, how did Jews kill their animals? It's the same way we kill animals today. We drain them of their blood. Strangling an animal 
kept the blood within the body and made it unclean and it was a pagan practice. So once again we have something that's happening in the uh, pagan temples strangling animals to save the blood for sacrifices. And the fourth thing sexual immorality. And when you look at that you say well yeah, yeah that's good. Well it was specifically from sexual immorality found in pagan temples. Pagan priests, for the large part, were simply prostitutes. What went on in the pagan temples, we will not go into here. Let's just say that I use the word sexual um, impropriety. It went far beyond that. What the Jerusalem church is really saying to the Gentiles is you must separate yourself entirely from pagan Gentile practices. This is what is required of you. But more than that, this is required of everyone. It's, I mean, God has required it. God has laid down the law. God has laid down the law. And you are to turn from pagan practices to the one true God This was what the instructions from the church in Jerusalem were aimed at. There was to be no idol worship among the Gentile believers as that has been the cause of the fall of Israel and indeed all man since the beginning of time. And it's why God wanted the Canaanites utterly destroyed. So back to the Wrapping this up, the Catholic Church, the Ten Commandments. What did they intentionally leave out? They left out the instructions to the Gentile nations joining in the worship of God through Christianity. They left out the specific instructions from James and the Apostles to abstain from idolatry they removed it from the Bible you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above including Jesus or God or the cross or that is on the earth beneath including saints Paul, Peter, including Mary or anyone else or that or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down or serve them so what commandments can Christians ignore You know, Jesus said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jeremiah 31, uh, 33 prophesies this. For this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit 
to live inside us. The law of Christ is written on the hearts of Christians. Which of the laws of Christ do you feel comfortable with ignoring? Which of them can you break? Now, we're sinners. We're going to break laws of Christ. We may make break many of them, and then we'll ask forgiveness of the one who kept them all perfectly, and he will forgive us and ask us to sin no more. But ignore. If you think you can ignore Christ's laws that is written on your heart, then they're not written on your heart. If you think you can ignore them, or it doesn't matter if you break them, or if you can just take them completely out and put them aside, I'm going to say you better really look at yourself to decide whether you're a Christian or not. If you, and if you don't know what Christ's law is, what God's law is, you need to go back and read the book to the end, as I say. And if you think you can alter God's word, scripture, and leave out convenient commandments, you might need to consider that you're a pagan in disguise. I don't think there's any other choice. We may not ignore Christ's law. And I think we all know what they are. And I think people who do away with the second commandment know what they are also. Let's close in prayer.